0: Have you ever been really really hungry?
1: You're listening to Casting Lots, a survival cannibalism podcast.
0: I'm Alex. I'm Carmela. And now let's tuck in to the gruesome history of this ultimate taboo. Welcome to episode 10, The Invocald. Are you ready to feel the salt spray on your face and hear the inevitable crunch as your allegedly sturdy ship plows straight into some really sharp rocks?
1: Oh, yeah. Boy, am I.
0: Perfect. Carmela, would you like to learn about the Invercult? Yes, please. We are really getting back to Alex's golden age of survival cannibalism. We're back on board a wooden ship during the 19th century.
1: I have to say, I don't think it's just your golden age. I think it's just a golden age in general and you have no influence over it.
0: That's what you think. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the film Arrival. It's actually, it all goes round and round in circles and it's actually me speaking the cannibalism into effect.
1: Like Herman
0: Melville. Oh my gosh, our evil arts. (laughs) Please tell me about the Invercold The Invercold may or may not be pronounced like that Season 3 really is the season that Alex just gives up with trying to say anything properly But she is, of course, on her maiden voyage
1: Oh yes I have a question Do you think the phrase maiden voyage will be cancelled at some point? I assume it's some kind of like
0: maidenhood kind of The Invercould has been wrecked for 140 slutty, slutty years.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, do you think at some point that discourse will come about?
0: Well, it will now because you've (laughs) spoken it into effect. I'm starting
1: it here. Maiden Voyage. Really sexist. I don't know whether I'm joking or not. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Just language, huh? Anyway, sorry. What happened to
0: her? It's May eighteen sixty four and the Inverold has set sail from Melbourne to South America. She's a working ship preparing to take on a hold of fertilizer from Peru for transportation and sale.
1: Oh, nice fertilizer's a new one nice,
0: warm, nutritious fertilizer mm. but important to note she's preparing to pick up the fertilizer she is currently Empty of pretty much anything useful. Cool, cool. She's about 1,100 tonnes with 25 men aboard. All men, no women or passengers. The three genders, men, women and passengers. (laughs) Some of us have worked customer service for too long. And the crew are all pretty much strangers to each other. Most men from Aberdeen, but there's the odd Englishman, there's the odd man that's been picked up from Australia, but they're not exactly a cohesive unit. But, all in all, everything is fairly routine. In fact, the anchors have been lashed to the deck of the ship, because that's what you do, is it? I certainly can't think of anything that you might need anchors for while crossing by quite dangerous islands known as the jaws of hell can you no nah nah it'll be fine the captain of the invercult is a man called george dalgano and sadly i know next to nothing about dalgano well there was one article that described him as quote pathetic (laughs) we know one thing about george i don't even know if he has a Big, bushy captain's beard, although I assume he does by the end.
1: Let's just assume that he has one. It's important
0: to my visualisation process. Of this pathetic, pathetic Scotsman. Mm-hmm. There is also the possibility, purely through googling George Dalgarno, who <laughs> was from Scotland, that he might be related to another Scottish George Dalgano, who was a linguist who studied philosophical language a.k.a. an early form of universal sign language. Oh, that's cool. Disability history, woo, doesn't normally come up in this podcast. People normally die before they can become disabled. Invercould is sailing eastwards, and to get boring and maritime for a moment, she's at an approximate latitude in the 50s.
1: That means things to me absolutely 100%.
0: See, the next line in my script is, hmm, how to properly explain longitude and latitude without A, sounding like a condescending dick, and B, without drawing lines on an orange. So, (laughs) I'm sure this is going to work for an audio-based medium, but here we go. Let's just do latitude, not get overcomplicated. The equator is latitude zero, the Mm -hmm. bit round the middle. Yeah. The globe is then divided into segments, which goes up to 90, both north and south. Mm-hmm. So lines around the orange. Indeed. You might have heard of the phrase the Roaring Forties.
1: Ah, is that related to the latitude?
0: That is related to the latitude. And not the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties... That's Gatsby. The Roaring Forties are much windier and less jazzy in the <laughs> Roaring Twenties. Ignore the Twenties, they're out. Sticking with the Forties. Basically, the further south you get down the latitudes, the more fucked up the wind is. <laughs> this is a technical term. I did half a course on FutureLearn about meteorology, so basically I'm a weatherman.
1: Are they not anchors, people who do weather?
0: No, the anchors are lashed to the deck. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> you have the Roaring Forties, the Furious Fifties, and the Screaming Sixties. <laughs> love that. These are winds that sailors fear for quite good reason. Well, wow, because they're furious and screaming. And roaring. And roaring. There's a sailor's adage that goes, below 40 degrees south, there is no law. Below 50 degrees, there is no God. <laughs> Invocal is sailing in the 50s. We are out of God's hands. They pass by my ancestral homeland. Disappointment Island. (laughs) I was really
1: there like, whoa, what's your your heritage, Alex? I didn't know
0: this. (laughs) Disappointment Island. It's one of the Auckland Islands. It's not actually my heritage. We've covered this in the Irish episode. (laughs) I am as white as they come. But the weather for Invercould really does match the mood of the furious 50s. There's a thick snowstorm and even with a double lookout, when land is spotted 20 miles closer than it's expected to be, there is no hope for the ship. Especially because her masts are made of iron as opposed to wood.
1: Oh, that's an interesting choice.
0: It's not uncommon, just as it's not uncommon to have wire instead of rope, but this is um heavier. Yeah, Remember how her anchors are lashed to the bow? I do remember that, because it did come up. Meaning that there's nothing to stop her from dashing straight into the rocks in this storm.
1: Oh, no, who could have foreseen that consequence?
0: So the Invercald is wrecked on the northern cliffy coast of Auckland Island in the early hours of the 11th of May, 1864. Six men drowned during the sinking and the scramble to safety and those who survived that first night are in a bit of a sorry state. To say the least.
1: Is it still snowing?
0: To be honest with you, we don't hear a lot about the weather. I'm assuming it is a constant state of sleet, snow, rain and misery. Nice. The men are left to consider their new home, Auckland Island. Lovingly described as, quote, A remote, godforsaken place in the fierce expanse of ocean between New Zealand and Antarctica. Year-round freezing rain, howling wind and lack of adjacent shipping make Auckland Island one of the most remote and forbidding places on Earth. So cosy then. It's a mere 465 kilometres from New Zealand. Basically neighbours. Incredibly remote and isolated. And even Britain... Failed to set up a colony there. (laughs) What? The settlement of Hardwick was founded in 1849 and then abandoned in 1852. Oh, so they did attempt to do it. Oh yeah, they failed.
1: Oh, well, I'm not surprised that they failed. That's just their thing. But okay, they did attempt. I thought you meant they'd never even tried.
0: You know, the Brits love an underdog. They love a colonisation. Underdog. Yes. Speaking of the Brits loving a trier, the island has had some famous visitors before Invercould and her crew crash-landed. Some very familiar ships to us, carrying an extraordinarily handsome British officer, made land in 1840. Oh, And they set up, of all things, an observatory. Do you want to hazard a guess as to which ships, or indeed which famous handsome officer, has visited Auckland Island?
1: I would assume ships could be... Did the Erebus and Terra go that way? Ding, ding, ding! On their Antarctic expedition?
0: It is, of course, our old friends HMS Terra and Erebus. And wasn't it Ross who led that expedition? The effervescent and handsome James Clark Ross was indeed at the helm. Those two really do get around, don't they? It's
1: very much like... Watching a BBC show in that there's only a few actors and you've
0: got to share them out. If in doubt, we will cram a Franklin reference in there. (laughs) And most of the time they are actually organic. It does get to the point during this research that is like, seriously? Again? This guy? I was like, oh, Franklin, what a surprise, it's you. But by now, in 1864, Terra and Erebus are long sunk and the crew of Invercould have a similar fate in store. Well... Come on, Carmella, you know what happened to the crews of Terra and Erebus.
1: Well, they starved to death and ate one another.
0: No spoilers. The supplies that the men have managed to retrieve from Invercould are pitiful. A little salted pork and ship's biscuit, about two pounds of each. And the beach isn't looking like profitable hunting grounds. Luckily, in perhaps the only stroke of luck these men have, they do have some matches. Okay. And after building a pretty poor hut, they light a fire. They do, however, manage to burn one of their two boxes of matches by trying to dry them out.
1: I was going to ask, are the matches dry? Well, the answer is too dry.
0: Far too dry. (laughs) Ordinary sailor Robert Holding seizes the remaining box and refuses to give them up to anyone.
1: Is that a keeping them safe or a hoarding them situation?
0: Yes. Cool. Quite how he gets away with that, I'm not sure, but it does turn out to be quite a good call for him. You may be able to guess that 23-year-old Holding is about to become our main character.
1: Is he holding the matches?
0: Get out. (laughs) Because we have a main character and, spoilers, limited survivors, our timeline starts to get a bit muddy. Andrew Smith, the first mate, would later write that, The island was high and to all appearance all but inaccessible. Nothing but fragments of the wreck were to be seen and little food was to be had. Some roots were found, and all but the captain ate of these, and the little pork and biscuit that had been washed from the wreck. The bodies of the drowned men were stripped when they washed ashore, and then left for the birds.
1: Okay, weird decision in all directions, that normally you would either bury them, or
0: bury them at sea, or eat them. Well... How are they going to bury them at sea? They are stuck on the island. Just sort of push them back out <laughs> was what I was picturing. Fair, I think that's about the level. So oh, the scavengers can have them. Yeah, okay. It does seem like a waste.
1: Although, we often talk about the u- using bodies to fish. Sounds like they're luring birds. Did they catch the birds and eat them, Alex? No. Right, okay.
0: No, they did not. My mind will always go back to the Peggy and how they never had to resort to survival cannibalism because they used the bodies to fish with. Come on, people. Use your initiative.
1: From now on, I'm just going to be picturing whatever you tell me, that in the background there's this horde of birds picking over corpses and they're like, we have no
0: food. The survivors spend five days on the beach before they decide to move on. And there doesn't appear to be a lot of leadership on display. In fact, there is no leadership on display. It's an absolute travesty.
1: The captain's still alive at this point.
0: The captain's still alive. He's not really doing much. He's a bit miserable. Can't think why. He's refused to eat the roots,
1: but he is there.
0: He is there. With the persuasion of holding, the majority of men set to scale the cliffs that are surrounding them. Okay. Three men have already just wandered off. One man is too injured to attempt the climb and the final man pledges to stay with his injured fellow.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: Don't worry, he later abandons him, claims that he's died, but then admits to holding that he was actually still alive, he just wanted to leave. Ooh. Surprisingly enough, the group starts to fragment around now. Hmm. The first mate writes that, quote, seven of our company went back to the wreck, but they never came back, and we never saw anything more of them.
1: I think they probably drowned.
0: In our main narrative from Holding, we hear that he was trying to persuade the despondent officers, including Captain Dalgano and the first and second mate to follow him.
1: Hmm, and this is Holding's account.
0: This is Holding's account.
1: Right, so he takes charge and no one else is doing anything and he's the only one who knows anything.
0: Yes and no. Ooh, okay. I will come out with it here. The... The book that I read for this, Island of the Lost, uses Holdings' account predominantly. But I've not actually been able to find Holdings' account. Oh, interesting. I am working under the assumption that it is somewhere in a private archive. Yeah. And hasn't been published. But the captain's and the first mate's account have been. So I have their direct quotes. Spoilers for who survives. mm mm-hmm but only the second-hand account of what Holding wrote. He said, she said. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of the first mate, Andrew Smith wrote that, quote, death soon began to thin their ranks. The man they had left behind on the rock below died in a day or two. The one who was abandoned. The one who was already dead, right? Right? Yeah, he was totally already dead. And the cook, whose name is unknown, died soon after reaching the top of the island.
1: Oh, normally the cooks last a good long time in
0: these stories. There seems to be absolutely no attempt to keep anyone but oneself alive. Ah, the British way. (laughs) Very good, very good. (laughs) As the party splits... Holding leaves those too apathetic to carry on at the top of the cliff and returns to the beach. Here he is joined by some other men, possibly some of the seven, possibly some of the three who'd already wandered off. Mm. And after coming across the body of the ship's pig, they light a fire and, well, in Holding's account, did we eat it? Of course. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why he started a comedy routine, but never mind. <laughs> oh, great guy. This is when cannibalism is first raised. It's the bosun who suggests that those huddled round the fire should cast lots to see who should sacrifice himself to save the others.
1: Wait, immediately after having eaten this pig?
0: Either immediately or maybe five days? Time gets a little bit interesting in this account because no one really makes a note of when anything is happening.
1: I just love the idea of like currently eating a good meal of pig and being like, so, who's next then?
0: <laughs> Are you saying that isn't exactly what we would be doing? That's very true. Holding is horrified by this discussion of cannibalism He says that he would never eat another man. Oh, no. But after realising that if he doesn't agree to cast lots, he's likely to be murdered... Fair. ..he runs away.
1: If you ain't in it, you can't win it.
0: You'll see why later, but this whole story, in fact, the whole story of Invercould, gets immoralised in a very black-and-white way. And this incident has been referred to as, quote... A grotesque descent into cannibalism. Seems unfair. (laughs) It does seem unfair. This was a democratically decided casting of lots. That is the custom of the sea.
1: I would say it's one of the less messy descents into cannibalism we've seen.
0: Now, there is something a bit strange about this whole situation for me, and I think we've already covered that the timeline's a bit foggy, because evidence points to the fact that there is already a body on the beach Oh, yeah, that
1: guy that was already dead.
0: Exactly, the injured man who had been left behind. Ooh,
1: when they said they found the body of the ship's pig, was that a euphemism? You know, is that like him not wanting to admit that he ate a guy? It was like it was definitely a pig. Sort of Mawson and the dog meat thing.
0: That is actually a really good point because only Holding survives out of this group. There is no one to confirm or deny that. And it
1: would make more sense if you were currently eating a human body to say who's next, guys, and if you were currently eating a pig. Or I could just be saying these things because I like that kind of drama and, you know, maybe they were just genuinely eating a pig anyway.
0: I mean, they could have been, but in Holding's own account, they've already eaten, quote, rotten and difficult-to-eat meat. So the fact that the injured man who'd been left behind had been left behind for at least a few days...
1: Rotten and difficult to eat.
0: The carcass of the pig will have been rotten and difficult to eat and been dead for days. So it makes me wonder whether what Holding objected to was the idea of murder as opposed to the idea of cannibalism. Mm. Because it seems really foolish to A discuss casting lots when there's already a body lying around.
1: Or indeed a pig, yeah. Or indeed
0: a pig. And none of them have had the strength to bury any of the bodies. Bodies of men have been covered with sand or rocks. They've not actually been disposed of. And what about all these birds? <laughs> Things
1: aren't enough in this story.
0: But anyway, Holding runs away. As the Otago Witness would later report in 1865... A newspaper, not like a person person. a Otego. Yeah. There was a good supply of water on the island. Nothing in the shape of sustenance, but roots and a species of limpet could be found on the island. And, of course, all these birds.
1: And the bodies and the pig, yeah.
0: Sustenance was hard to come by. With the fracture of the survivors withholding being our main narrator, This means that we follow him as he goes from group to group, leaving one group because of a case of cannibalism. We never hear from them again, only for that same fate to follow him to the next.
1: Really sounds like there's a common factor here. (laughs) It's Holden getting a group like, right, lads, let me tell you what those guys are doing because you're going to love this idea.
0: No, he actually keeps it secret. Ooh,
1: that's all very psychological games going on.
0: He never tells... The officers, what happened at the beach group. Hmm. Which makes it really difficult to authenticate all of these sources. Very true. By the time Holding returns to the men that he'd left after scaling the cliff, it had been over 23 days since any of them had eaten properly.
1: Okay. Apart from
0: Holding, who's had some rotten dead pig. <laughs> yeah. Pig. Pig. <laughs> long pig how did we miss that yeah focus soon shifts to finding some form of food this as the newspaper article states is mostly limpets but the odd seabird is collected
1: oh so there are some birds that's good
0: there are some birds these men are not very good at catching them because birds do have an added advantage over starving men (laughs)
1: because <laughs> over limpets
0: <laughs> also over limpets they can fly
1: mm-hmm. do the men have guns and such or did those all get lost
0: no guns
1: Ooh, okay yeah it is quite hard then
0: when i'd said that they'd taken ship's biscuit and salted pork off invercould that's all they took that was all they took got you most of the men have actually even lost their shoes because of the scramble to get to safety, they do not have resources. Okay, got you. Well, that's a lie. Holding has a box of matches.
1: Oh, yes, let's not forget.
0: You will note that when Holding goes from group to group and he chooses to leave them, which he often does, he goes on walks. When he comes back, he's like, oh, well, the people haven't moved. I'm like, that's because you're the only one with matches. They're staying by the fire. It's freezing, we're in the Southern Hemisphere, it's winter.
1: Very good points.
0: So thus, when he goes to the beach and a fire is lit, that's only because Holdings there with the matches. Yeah. Seriously, how no one mugs him for these matches, I don't know. (laughs) The little food that was found wasn't shared out equally between the survivors. Nor was it prioritised to either those well enough to hunt... Although those sick enough to need tending.
1: Was it prioritised at all based on rank?
0: It was prioritised by rank.
1: Of course it was.
0: Officers would order the surviving ship's boys to fetch them food and water, and in fact, they'd insist on drinking water out of the ship's boys' leather shoes rather than fetching it themselves.
1: Oh, classic. Having worked as an assistant before, that is just how it is, right? <laughs> you know... Phone this taxi. Bring me water in your shoe.
0: (laughs) Holding supposed that some of the boys would in fact be worked to death. That wouldn't surprise me. Spoilers. Yes. (laughs) And then the ten survivors saw a chimney.
1: Okay. A chimney, huh?
0: Almost crueler than a mirage... Because they made their way towards this chimney. A chimney means civilisation.
1: Right, right.
0: This is the remnants of Hardwick, the Uh, failed British colony. Oh, yeah. Abandoned, empty, and even most of the houses had been completely deconstructed. There was only one still standing complete shelter.
1: I guess that's still useful. But very, very disheartening.
0: They set up camp in the one remaining structure. And um surprising no one. Holding goes for a walk.
1: It's what he likes to do.
0: Now, in Joan Druitt's Island of the Lost, it feels like he goes for a walk until July. <laughs> I'm gonna put that one down to me not doing words good. As opposed to that actually being what happens. <laughs> I
1: gotta get some milk from the store and then, oh, great.
0: By the time Holding does return, we are in the depths of winter and more men and boys have died and everyone is still at Hardwick. Whether it was death from exposure or starvation or just giving up the will, it does feel like it's only Holding who has determination to keep going. He's got the matches. He's got the matches. See, I think this must have made him a little ruthless. He definitely has this every man for himself attitude.
1: Yeah, it seems like he's just sort of wandering around wherever, not really caring if other people are doing well or dying or.
0: He will share food when he's hunted it, but he will also just fuck off with the only matches. Yeah. The discovery of Hardwick was almost too much for most of the survivors and it seemed like most men were expecting help to come even though it was obvious that the owners of these ruined houses wouldn't be back. Oh, they're just sort of clutching at jaws. There's a cat that they see and for some reason even Holding is convinced that the owners are coming back.
1: Yeah. Do they attempt to eat this cat? No. We try our hardest not to blame people for their situations and casting lots, but, like, come on! Eat the cat!
0: Cannibalism time.
1: Yay!
0: Holding, surprise, Smith and two other men, Fred Fitzhalsort and a William Harvey Hervey.
1: (laughs) Harvey Hervey, love it.
0: Harvey Hervey. They went hunting for a better camp. They also happened to hunt a seal along the way. Finally, some actual meat. Yeah. And Harvey and Fritz argued, with Harvey shoving Fritz out of the basic brush shelter for the night. Like, sleep outside. In the cold. He lands flat on his face and dies where he falls. Oof. A few days later, quote, the mate and myself found that Harvey had been eating some of Fritz.
1: Huh. Fair enough. I mean, we're at that point. Although, wait, haven't they just caught a seal?
0: The timeline here. Yeah, yeah. However, the three men had been living in the same camp for a while, so how it takes a few days to work this out, I'm not sure, but at this point.
1: What are you chewing on over there? <laughs> what are you
0: chewing on? <laughs> the survivors are reduced to just four. Holding who is the only seaman.
1: <laughs> yeah. Holding the seaman. <laughs> yeah.
0: And the officers, James Mooney Andrew Smith, and Captain Dalgano. James is unable to walk and is tended by Dalgano while the others move camp yet again.
1: Ah, well, you know, that's just what holding does.
0: Quote, After a time, the captain joined us, remarked Smith, and Algano said the Maoni would catch up with them. Ooh, will he?
1: Yeah, he's dead. I mean, is he already caught up with them in some way? Has he, has he been eaten?
0: He's not been eaten. Oh. He has, however, been left to starve to death alone. Yeah. What a surprise.
1: I mean, it's just a waste, isn't it? Like, not only is it rude and rude I <laughs> know, like not only is it a complete disrespect for human life but like you're not even gonna
0: eat him but like, not even gonna put him out of his misery just going to fuck off and leave him to starve to death yeah surprise surprise holding goes back to see the body i'm not quite sure why just to look yeah that's that's the body And he carves his name and the date of the wreck on a roof slate and leaves it with the corpse.
1: Okay, that's quite nice.
0: 19 of the 25 men of Invercould survived the initial wreck. Three months later, there would only be three survivors. The ordeal of these three survivors, which can only have been made worse by the fact that it seems like none of them could stand each other.
1: (laughs) I mean, are you surprised?
0: Oh, just, just you wait. There is there is a twist in this tale.
1: Ooh, okay.
0: And I know it's a twist in the tale, but it won't be what you expect. Okay. Oh, I'm ready for a plot twist now. So the fact that these three men can't stand each other makes it incredible that they actually manage to build a wickerwork coracle. They are able to ferry themselves over to other islands. Okay. An island with rabbits and seabirds. Their ordeal is incredibly protracted. It isn't until the 20th of May, 1865, when Dalgano, Smith and Holding would be rescued.
1: What year was the original wrecking again? May 1864. Okay, yeah, that's a nice long
0: time. Over a year later, they are rescued, happened upon by the ship Julian. Notably... They do not look for any of the other survivors. I think they know what happened to them. Eh, what about the seven that fucked off to the wreck? They could have been on the other side of the island. It's quite a big island.
1: Yeah, but if you've been hopping around on a coracle, surely you'd assume you would have seen them within a year, over a year. Maybe not.
0: While they made a coracle and moved along the island, they... We're not going large distances. Okay. And while it is incredible they built a coracle, it's more incredible that they didn't all die.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay.
0: Remarkably, however, despite over a year on the island, the invocult survivors hadn't been alone. Hmm? Even though the two castaway crews had never met, there were survivors of another shipwreck on Auckland Island. Oh, wow! These two crews had spent a year only 20 kilometres apart, living very different lives.
1: That's a very, um... You know how you don't talk to your neighbours in London? <laughs> <laughs> and I have no idea who lives in flat C in my building, you know? On wow, the... okay, so what were the other people up to?
0: On the 3rd of January, 1864... The schooner Grafton. Carmella looks so excited right now. It's amazing. This is a really good plot twist. The schooner Grafton had been wrecked off the south coast of Auckland Island. Now, allegedly, she and her five-strong crew had been hunting for a potential tin mine on nearby Campbell Island. Probably what they were actually doing was looking for profitable sealing grounds. Mm. Campbell Island had turned out to be a bust so they made the regrettable decision to try their hand at Auckland Island before heading back. The Grafton is for once a shipwreck story where they do everything right. Okay. And then some. Immediately after she's wrecked and luck is on their side, she isn't sunk after the wreck and her small boat is undamaged. They're able to retrieve tools, supplies, rope navigational equipment, spare clothes, salt, an iron pot, and most notably, a gun. Yeah! The wreck is an incredible source for the men who turn their hand to turning the ropes, sails, planks and iron of Grafton into their new home. They build a 16 by 24 foot shelter with wooden walls, a thatched roof, a stone chimney desks shelves and they even repurpose glass windows salvaged from Grafton
1: that's really impressive
0: they christen their new home Eppingwaite <laughs> okay each man enters a name and the name is drawn randomly out of a hat
1: so they cast lots but for something very wholesome and cute
0: they do <laughs> In a mirror opposite to what's been happening with Invercould, the importance of good leadership is stressed at every turn by the men of Grafton. Mm. In fact, as soon as concerns were raised about the possibility of, quote, bitterness and animosity due to the potential disastrous consequences of a breakdown of order, a democratic process was drawn up so the men could elect a new leader. Oh, lovely. It was vital that they could work together because, quote, we stood so much in need of one another.
1: Very true.
0: The captain, Thomas Musgrave, happens to be elected leader.
1: Well, you know, that maybe that shows that they all had good faith in their captain. He's already a good leader.
0: But it was the element of choice that made all the difference. The men were able to select this. Exactly, yeah. The man who came up with the idea of this choice, and in fact... The main person from history that I would pick if I could have anyone alive or dead with to be stuck on a desert island is Francois Reynal.
1: Ooh, a Frenchman.
0: What makes you think he's French? <laughs> Reynal is a French prospector turned sailor, and my god, can this man turn his hand to anything? He can be a carpenter, he can be a blacksmith, he can be a cook, he can be a cobbler, he can be a politician. He's just incredible. Eppingwaite is such an incredible success story when it comes to the type of narratives that we normally come across. Yes, the men suffered and starved, but they also survived and thrived. They hunted seals, they salted their meat to keep over the winter, they tanned their hides to create shoes, they made functional leather, and they used seal skins to clothe themselves. They created thread unspun from sailcloth. Rainel created soap.
1: What? Jesus.
0: The men read from the recovered Bible and copy of Paradise Lost. Oh, that's nice. A bit ironic. Ignoring the fact that some of the books were missing a few pages, but beggars can't be choosers. They carved a chessboard. <laughs> Oh my god, they're so competent. They adopted pets. They had a pair of parrots that they taught to speak English. Aww. They had a cat, either a previous wreck survivor or wild descendant from Hardwick. Their cat was tamed and it stayed with them.
1: Could it be the same cat that was spotted at Hardwick?
0: It could, in fact, have been the same
1: cat. The timelines do match up. If only they'd followed that damn cat. (laughs)
0: A school was set up, with Henry Forges teaching Portuguese and Alexander McLaren teaching Norwegian in exchange for literacy lessons.
1: Ooh, that's nice.
0: I don't know what the fifth and final, man, George Harris taught, but it must have been something, because as Reynal wrote, From that evening we were alternately the master and the pupil of each other. These new relations still further united us. By alternately raising and lowering one of us above the other, They really kept us on a level and created a perfect equality among us. Yeah. We know so much about life on Auckland Island because of the incredible 19 months that the crew of the Grafton survived on the island. Both Musgrave and Raynell kept journals. They used seal's blood when the ink ran out. Oh, that's cool. Resourceful. And believe it or not, after 19 months... They decide to rescue themselves. Good for them. In order to build their way out of Auckland Island, first they need a blacksmith's forge. Okay. They only go and bloody build one. (laughs) A bellows, a furnace, an anvil and all.
1: I literally would not know how to create those things. Like, even if it occurred to me to make those things on a desert island, and even if I knew where to get the materials and stuff, I would not know how to
0: construct them. Out of the scraps of grafton, seal skin and flotsam, hundreds of nails, bolts, blades and carpenters' tools were made. Raynell is just a superman. It is incredible. I'm
1: feeling very, very bills and boony. I don't know what the title of this
0: one would even be. We'll link a picture of Reynold in the show notes. He has quite an impressive moustache. Ooh. Once it becomes obvious that a whole boat is too much for them to build, they change their plan. They turn to the small boat of the Grafton and adapt her to be seaworthy. That makes sense. They name her Rescue. Ah, Rescue sails for five days, with Musgrave, Raynal and Alec aboard to Port Adventure, Stewart Island, New Zealand. And then... Musgrave returns to Auckland Island as pilot guide to ensure that George and Henry were also saved.
1: How did they decide who went and who stayed?
0: Initially, Musgrave wanted everyone to go. They did a trial run, realised that she couldn't hold all five of them. Yeah. One of the men who remained behind, I think it was Henry, but I can't remember off the top of my head, expressed worry about going out to sea in the open boat. Mm and because Henry and George had got on quite well, it was decided that those two would stay behind because they were friends.
1: It shows a real sort of trust in one another, though, doesn't it? To say, yeah, it's all right, you take the boat and then you'll come back for us, and to believe that, that's nice.
0: And Musgrave is also the only man with family, so he's spending all of his time bless him he's very depressed Mm. his diaries he's like i am a very sad depressed man i have bouts of melancholy i miss my wife
1: i mean i think only fair given the circumstances
0: and still he insists he has to go back as guide to fetch everyone else Mm. in fact Musgrave was concerned when he saw what he believed to be smoke on Auckland Island from somewhere other than Eppingwaite.
1: How strange. Who could... who... what person with a box of matches could be causing this smoke?
0: Invercald has already been rescued at this point.
1: Ah, but they didn't go after those other seven people. Uh, tell me, who, who's causing the smoke, Alex? I have to know.
0: Well, early spoilers, it doesn't appear to actually be smoke. Oh, okay. However, Musgrave was so concerned that there could be other castaways that they conducted a search. He wrote, I confess the doubt torments me. The thought that some poor wretch should be left upon the island to suffer what we suffered pursues me incessantly. So if the survivors from Inverkuld had followed the cat and had made their way to Eppingwaite, it is undoubted that the crew of Grafton would have tried to ensure their survival, probably at the cost of their own lives.
1: And probably far better than they were themselves ensuring each other's own survival.
0: Oh, yes. However, when this search is conducted to find these other survivors, they don't come across any living castaways. Mm. They do, however, find a body. And above that body is an inscription, and all that can be read is the name James. This is James Maoni. Ah,
1: the one who Holding went back and did the plaque for.
0: Exactly. Survivors from the two crews never met, although memoirs and newspaper accounts of both disasters were published, and the crew of Grafton definitely learned of their unfortunate neighbours. The most famous of these accounts that was published was Reynolds' It's French Carmela, if you could do the honours.
1: Les Naufragés.
0: The Shipwrecked. This is allegedly the inspiration for Jules Verne's The Mysterious Island. Ooh, fun. However, the longest and best legacy of Grafton and Invercult was the planting of crops and the releasing of animals the placing of strong boxes and emergency caches of supplies for castaways on Auckland Island, marked with, and this is very, very 19th century, the curse of the widow and the fatherless light upon the man who breaks open this box while he has a ship at his back. (laughs) These depots did save lives. Men from the Derry Castle in 1887, the Compadre in 1891, and the Macdonald in nineteen oh seven. In fact, the latest people to be wrecked in the Auckland Islands were a helicopter crew in 2019. Oh wow. Who were downed nearby to where Inverculd floundered in 1864. They were rescued a day later with no fatalities. And that is the story of the Inverculd. This episode could so easily have been called a tale of two shipwrecks. <laughs> Or indeed, Two Ships, One Island. (laughs) But I'm classy and didn't want to spoil the surprise of it.
1: No, it was a brilliant surprise. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed that.
0: But one thing that was quite wryly amusing in doing the research of this was quite how much of the research for this episode came from leadership manuals and the city banker and how to carefully examine the crew you have on your journey. Do you have the skills available to you as a part of the employees you currently have? It's very focused on Dalgano, bad CEO. Musgrave, good CEO. <laughs> so the amount of business papers that I have had to read for this episode. Oh my God, just tell me about the cannibalism. I don't need to know about stocks.
1: <laughs> Apart from stocking up on supplies. thank you for listening to today's episode on the
0: invercord bet you didn't see that one coming i didn't it was so hard not to ruin the surprise join us next time for the missing lyric in we didn't start the fire Lots podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as @castinglotspod, and on Facebook as Casting Lots Podcast.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate, review, and share to bring more people to the table.
0: Casting Lots, a survival cannibalism podcast, is research, written, and recorded by Alex and Carmella, with post-production and editing also by Carmella and Alex. Art and logo design by Riley at Tallest Friend on Twitter and Instagram, with audio and music by Daniel Wackett, Daniel Wackett on SoundCloud and at dswack on Twitter. Casting Lots is part of the Morbid Audio Podcast Network. Search hashtag Morbid Audio on Twitter and the network's music is provided by Michaela Moody. Michaela Moody 1 on Bandcamp.
1: Morbid Audio Podcast
0: Network. There are a lot of dogs. All of them survive.
1: Mostly because
0: most of them never interact with people. Cool. They're just... Well, they're just mentioned (laughs) that... Well, the captain's dog from one of the shipwrecks is noted as having survived, but fucks off and is never seen again. Ah, good for him. There are wild dogs on the island that the men will get really excited about, and they fuck off and are never seen again. Good. And then finally... Oh, is it a St. Bernard? It's a... No, it's a Newfoundland. Ooh. One guy who, so not actually appearing in the story, um, because I don't mention him by name, Tom Cross, don't know why I ignore him. He has a big Newfoundland. Oh. And it ju- it's just like, yep, the Newfound it, the Newfoundland does get bonked on the head by someone trying to hunt a seal. The dog's helping them hunt a seal oh, no. and he gets a bit excited, oh, yeah. and he gets bonked. We've all been but there. But he's fine. When you're in the kitchen and your dog's under your feet, yeah. Yeah. And you're having to club your own food <laughs> to death yeah. in the kitchen, yeah. Um, but yeah, four dog, at least four dogs, none of them get eaten. I'm
1: that's really nice.
0: It's what you want. Yeah. Isn't it? Okay. There we go. There's the little subplot about how no dogs are harmed in the making of this story. People, on the other hand,
1: mm-hmm. they're
0: fucked.